So this morning we're continuing, as you can see, God's good news for everyone. And it just happened that we're going to talk about Justified this morning and a horse won the Preakness yesterday named Justified. They have nothing to do with each other, but so I, just, I just thought it was, I thought it was kind of interesting that that happened. Um, so I love Ikea. I mean, I really love Ikea. I just found out that Ikea has really bomb breakfast, right? Vito and I went for breakfast a couple weeks ago. You get like free coffee before nine or something. Uh, they got a dollar frozen yogurts when you, after you go check out. Of course, they got the Swedish meatballs, right? Those are the best. Uh, they got like, if you go to their light section, they got like funky lights and stuff. So I'm like, yo, these, one of the lights looks like a Death Star. It's actually really cool. Uh, and plus, the furniture is really awesome. Right? I have a futon in my office. I love It's cheap. <laughs> but the problem with Ikea is that their instruction booklets are basically just pictures. <laughs> I mean, I'll open these books, and it'll be like, all right, here's a picture of step one. Okay, I got it. Here's a picture of step two. Hey, I got it. And so on and so forth. But then you get to step four or five, you're like, this is not looking like what I bought. <laughs> this picture doesn't look like the right picture. It doesn't look like what I bought in the store. Sometimes they have words, but it's really just letters, right? Panel A goes to panel F. Okay, where's panel A? And you gotta like pretend you gotta find it, right? You look for these things in your instruction booklets to make sure you what you build looks right. Instruction booklets are great. Right? My dad loves to read instruction booklets. For a nighttime. He'll do, you, it doesn't matter how thick they are, that man will read instruction booklets. They tell you what to do. They tell you what something should look like, what it should look correctly. They show us a picture of what is the right thing they're great. However, sometimes we take our Bibles and we read them as instruction books, as rule books. Church, how many believe the Bible is a rule book? Right? A book of pictures, of steps in order for us to get right with God. That we read page one. Okay, we look like this. Let's check off. Let's go to the next page. You move along to another picture. All right, I'm starting to look more and more right. I'm starting to be more and more right so I can stand in front of God. How many of you believe the Bible is a book of laws? Telling you what not to do, what to do, how to live. These laws govern how I'm supposed to interact with people. These are, I should follow these laws, right? I should work hard to follow these laws in order for me, for us to be right with God. Honestly, if you're sitting here this morning, search your heart. Honestly, answer this question. Is the Bible a rule book? I want to hold off answering this question until the end. But I'm sure if we poll, right, all the churches on Old Bridge Road, our answers would be similar. Now, the last couple of weeks, 
We've been walking through the book of Galatians. And we've been walking through the Galatians since April 8th. So I think we need some recap. Just, just, just some recap. So we know that the book of Galatians was Paul's first letter he wrote. And if we see the structure of Galatians 1 and 2, we see Paul setting up why he can say this, right? Paul called by God, accepted by the apostles. It's written to the church of Galatia, multiple churches. And in Galatians chapter 1, Paul sets up really why he wrote the letter. And if we turn to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, right? Paul, you know, he a typical greeting, right? He always opens his letters like this. But then it says, right, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. We see right from the start that Paul points out what the issue is with the churches of Galatia. They're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel, but they're distorting it. They're making it a different gospel. So what is the church turning to? What is this different gospel? We see that a group of teachers... Right? Leaders in the church of Galatian, Galatia were insisting that the Gentile Christians, right, Gentile or non-Jews, Gentile Christians practice all the ceremonial customs of the law of Moses, just as the Jewish Christians did. They taught that the Gentiles had to observe the dietary laws and be circumcised for full acceptance and be completely right and pleasing to the eyes of God. They had to do some work, follow some rules in order to be truly Christians, in order to be right with God. This story of a group of teachers teaching them different gospel might resonate with some of us. Because in some churches across America, people are teaching a different gospel. And Paul addresses this. This issue with an all-abiding, all-important truth. This is what Pastor Brian talked about last week. The culture. There's culture divisions in this church, right? This is how we're supposed to teach the gospel. No, this is how we're supposed to do it, right? Based on culture. Right? If you guys want to know, look up Desiring God. John Piper writes a very good article about this chapter on racial diversity. The Galatians churches were confused on the true nature of the gospel. They were some of them were teaching this, some of them were teaching this. And the church of Galatia was a long time ago, right? But it's and the 21st church is here, but there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of similarities. You see, even today in America, churches have become confused on the true nature of the gospel. This is happening in a lot of churches, ours included. And that should shock you. That should be like, why? Why is that happening in our church, in God's church? You might not know you're doing it, but it's happening. We preach the gospel of works instead of the gospel of Christ. We preach that we must do something. I must work really hard so I can squeeze out just enough eternal life for me. It's all about me. I've been a good Christian. 
I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've checked off all the boxes. I look like this picture of a true Christian. Right? I've done everything. Me, me, me. The gospel of me. So what does Paul do? He confronts this church and he confronts America's churches and God's churches. In Galatians 2, 15-16, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because of the works of the law, no one will be justified. And these verses, right, Brian and I were talking in our, my office on Friday, and these verses are really a continuation of what Peter and Paul are arguing, right? And some of in our Bibles, they're, they're chopped off, but in, in manuscripts, we, people believe that they're continuation. So this is Paul's, like, end of the argument, right? He's saying, this is what we need to do. Peter was guilty of hypocrisy because though he had been living happily like a Gentile, he was now requiring Gentile Christians to observe the Jewish table requirements, right? You can come to my table, but you got to do some stuff first in order to come here, right? We see Peter basically saying, y'all are different. You guys don't look like me. You guys don't look like a typical Christian should be. Y'all need to do something to get right before you're allowed to come sit at my table, sit at the table of, of God, right? Do some things. Here is the instruction book, right? You must go through this book, work really hard at this before you're allowed to sit with us. So we see in one verse, right? Really, verse 16, Paul lays out the true gospel. Not just for the church of, of Galatia, but also for every church in the 21st century. So this morning we're going to unpack, right? The true good news. The good news that gets everyone right with God. Everyone right with God. We're going to see how Paul contradicts the different gospel that was circling around Galatia and that circles around today. Before we go on and, and see that there's some things we need to set up first, right? It's important that we define what the word justified means, right? This is justification by faith, the doctrine of justification, right? For your history, guys, this is basically what the Reformation started, right? Martin Luther, right? All those guys, right? This is what really is the crux of what the split was, Again, it's not the horse justify, right? Let's get that out of our head. But actually, I put that in there before I knew he he won the Preakness. So I just, yep. So in a nutshell, the word justify means to be declared right and made right in front of God. It's be able to stand in front of God and him saying, you are justified. You are right in my eyes. It means that we can stand in front of God. He counts us righteous. He accepts us. He welcomes us into His fellowship forever. And that should bring us joy. 
It's a legal reference. It's the idea of what a judge does in a courtroom. It's a declaration that a defendant is found innocent because there is real innocence. The defendant is declared just because he is found to be just. If we think back to the Old Testament, the word justified means clean. It means following the Jewish ritual, the dietary laws, clean enough to worship God, clean enough to sit at the table. And it's important for us not to be confused with forgiveness. Forgiveness is the fruit of justification. Or atonement. Atonement is which the, is the basis of it. Rather, it is a favorable verdict of God. The righteous judge, the one who formerly stood condemned, me, us, has now been granted a new status. It means standing before God and being right in His eyes. And then Paul, notice that Paul tells us what doesn't justify us. Right? He uses negative language first to reinforce the positive. He says the works of the law, which Peter is requiring, right? Peter's requiring the Gentile Christians to obey some of the stuff in order to be made right. Right? You gotta do some stuff. Do this before you can come sit at our table. That happened in Galatia, and that happens today. Within one verse, Paul repeats himself. Right? He repeats him, he repeats himself three times. Justified by Christ Jesus, justified by Jesus Christ, not justified by works, justified by faith. Right? Look at verse 16. It's basically the same thing every time. When Paul is talking about the law, he is talking about the sum of a specific divine requirements given to Israel through Moses. What Paul is saying is that the law cannot produce a right standing with God. He's saying that the law cannot make you clean. It cannot justify you. He's saying that we will never fulfill the entire law. There's a TED Talk about a guy. I think he's a best New York Times bestseller. He tried to live the laws of the Bible for a year. He wrote a book on it. And he talks about in this TED Talk, he talks about how he would be sitting at a park with someone on a bench and he would have to like turn to her and ask her all these kind of questions. And then at the end, he'd be like, I have to stone you now because you're not right. He's saying that we can never fulfill the law, right? We know the laws, Ten Commandments. Read Leviticus, right? That's the law too. It doesn't matter how hard you try to follow all these laws because you will fail. Your efforts would be futile because you will work so hard but yet fall short every time. The entire burden of Paul's argument in Galatians was to show that the law cannot produce a right standing before God. Paul starts this book defending, right? Contrary, different gospel. Then he comes here and he says, this is what the true gospel is. R.C. Sproul says, this faith by justification is the hinge of all of Christianity. It doesn't matter how hard you work. You will never produce enough good works. You will never follow the law. 
You might follow one, but then you turn to the other side and you're breaking this law. We can work so hard. We can follow the IKEA instructions to the T, but we will never fully fulfill the law. So what does make us right with God in God's eyes? How are we we able to stand before a holy God? And you look at us and declare us innocent. Paul says it. It's about faith. And specifically, faith in who? Jesus. If we turn to Romans chapter 1, right? Fun fact, Galatians, the book of Galatians is basically a small commentary in the book of Romans. So if you don't want to read Romans, read Galatians. <laughs> but read Romans. Romans is a great book. In Romans 1, in Romans 1, 17, it says, For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Right? The word righteous means right. Uh, the right will live by faith. And faith is what it makes us right with God. In Ephesians, it tells us that it's a radical gift from God. Notice, not merely human possibility. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Church, faith and works are completely different. They are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Works is all about me. It's all about what I have to do in order to gain favor with someone. Right? Last week was Mother's Day. Right? If we miss Mother's Day, we work hard to make it right with the person, with our moms. If we miss a birthday or an important date, we immediately start working hard to make it right with that person. It's a process. Faith, on the other hand, is the complete opposite. It is the one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. Faith is the instrument through which justification is given to us. It's our response to what took place on the cross. So in order for us to be made right in the eyes of God, we have to put our faith in who? Jesus Christ. You know the one person who fulfilled the entire law was? Jesus Christ. Right? If we turn to Galatians chapter 3, I'm, I'm pretty sure Brian will probably speak on this, but in verse 24, right, it says this, so then the law was our guardian until who? Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And if we read Romans 5, right, we see this thread again. And all in Romans, the book of Romans, we see Paul addressing that Christ lived this perfect and sinless life. He followed all these laws. The law was given by God in order to play a special role in the divine economy of salvation. Namely, to lead us to who? To Christ. Because see, if we're dependent on the law, we're going to keep going back to the law for something. We're going to keep going back. I broke this law, so let me go to it to, to learn more about it. But if we go to Christ, who fulfilled all the law, right? who do we put our dependence in? 
We put our faith in Christ. It points us our need for a Savior. I can't follow these laws, so therefore I need to follow someone who did. Follow Christ. It leads us up to the edge. The law gets us so far, but our faith puts us over the edge. We need to stop thinking that I must do something in order to be justified and start thinking it has been done for me. The price has been paid. The wrath has been satisfied. Nothing I will ever do will make me right in God because it's already been done for me. And this is not just Christians or Jews or Gentiles, right? This is everyone. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like earlier I asked if the Bible is about a book about rules. And I want to answer that question from reading from one of my favorite books ever, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Now most of parents who have little kids have these, this Bible. But on the back it said ages four and up. Who's ages four and up sitting in this room, right? We're all ages four and up. And if we turn to the first page of the Bible, or the storybook Bible, right? It says this. Now some people think the Bible is a book of rules. Telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it to show you how life works best. But here it is, right? But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about a God and what He has done. It doesn't matter how hard we try. It doesn't matter if we sit in our house, locked in our rooms, never moved. We still have sinned. We could do nothing, I repeat, nothing in order for us to be justified in the eyes of God. I can't do it at all. In fact, the good news, church, is that it's already been done for us. Standing before God on the basis of efforts, on the basis of works, will never work because the work has been done for you. God has taken the whole affair into His hands. He has sent His Son to die on the cross for us. The Gospel is not a story of what we shouldn't do or should do. It's not a story about how we are to work hard to achieve right standing with God. It's a love story about God sending His Son in the world, dying on the cross, shedding His blood to cleanse us from all our sin. It's a story that tells us the work has been done for us. So the only thing we have to do is enjoy our relationship with Christ. Put our faith in Him. Experience overflowing joy that makes us want to dance like David danced. That makes us want to dance like the beggar danced. It's a story that tells us that God says, I got it. I got it. It's whispered throughout all of Scripture. In Genesis to Revelation, the Gospel penetrates. It shows up. God says, I got it. I got it. It's a story that's echoed, should be on our hearts. Right? Good news. When you guys get good news, what do you want to do with it? Share it. You want to tell people about good news. This 
is the good news we need to share with people. That it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what you will do. It only matters that when you look to the cross, and what do you see? You see Christ was nailed with open arms, not closed arms. And your response should be, I'm putting my faith in Him. He's got it. I'm taking my sins and I'm putting it at the feet of Christ. His blood is washing over me. That's the good news. Right? Good news is not based off works. That's bad news. That's different gospel. Good news is based on Christ and what He's done for me and what He will do for me. It's a story that changes our hearts and transforms our lives. It's a story for every Jew, Gentile, and every one of us. And I want to end with a story. In 1505, a 21-year-old monk, well, not monk yet, named Martin Luther, was walking toward a village when the sky became overcast. A raging storm blew up, and a bolt of lightning went across the sky. It knocked Martin Luther to the ground, and he shouted, St. Anna, help me. He cried, I will become a monk. Martin Luther grew up in a medieval culture filled with talks of devils, demons, angels, heaven and hell, and the great judgment day. Culture of great fear. He thought the lightning has been launched at him by a god as a message, a glimpse of terror of judgment. Martin Luther knew he needed to preserve his soul the best way he could do it. So he decided, you know what, I'm going to work to be a monk. At the end of his first year, he was made a priest and invited to celebrate a mass. Martin's family came, his friends came, the chapel was filled. Psalms were sung. Martin Luther took his place behind the altar and is in his own words, a miserable little pygmy, dust and ashes full of sin, daring to speak to the living, eternal, fearsome God. He didn't feel right in the eyes of God. He thought, I need to work as a monk, work hard to be in good standing with the Lord. Martin Luther got through the Mass and keep going as a monk, but those experiences captured his terrible internal burdens. He got to the point where he was convinced that God was so pure, holy, no one could ever hope to be saved. All would be abandoned to the torments of hell. No one could be right in the eyes of God. More than once, Martin said, I was driven to the very abyss of despair so that I wished I'd never been created. Love God. I hated him. Then in 1513, eight years after the thunderstorm, seven years after the terrible mass, Martin Luther had an experience. He was lecturing on the book of Psalms, then in 1515 on the book of Romans, and then in 1516 on the book of Galatians. It was during those studies Luther discovered life-transforming insight from the gospel, that God's requirement for us is not perfection, but faith. He said this, My situation was that, although an impeccable monk, right? I'm a good monk, I work hard, I stood before God as a sinner, trouble in conscience. I had no confidence that my merit would assurge him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated him and murmured against him. Then I grasped the justice of God is that the righteousness of which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. 
Whereas before the justice of God has filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressible sweet and greater love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words of Paul in the book of Galatians. Lord, we thank you for him coming and standing and challenging the different gospel. Lord, for some of us, this might be the first time we've heard the true good news. We all bring a different background, different way we've been brought up. Lord, some of us in here have all our entire life have heard, I must work hard in order to be right with God. Lord, and this is the first time I've heard this gospel that says, you just need to get on your knees and say, Lord, I love you. I put my faith in you. And I want to be in your ever presence. And that brings me joy. God looks down and says, I got you. Lord, if this is the first time that someone has heard this gospel, let their hearts be stirred. Let them respond like David did. Like the lame beggar did. Let them dance with joy. Share their good news with everyone. Lord, if there's some of us in here who resonate with a, the different teachers in Galatia, right? Some of our, our Sunday school teachers or any teacher in here that says, wow, I might have been doing this. I might have been teaching a different gospel. Lord, I re- let them purge this, this works of the law. Let the blood of Christ wash over them. Let them celebrate that it has been done for us, for me on the cross. The single most beautiful and horrific act. Lord, I pray as as we get ready to respond, that you move people to a place where they can respond. That the Holy Spirit pushes them to want to engage in the true gospel and not a different gospel. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for sending your Son into this world to do all the work for us. Amen.